You're listening to audio from Stapleton Baptist Church. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit stapletonbaptistchurch.org. We pray this message blesses you. There's many interesting and incredible characteristics of Jesus' ministry that are worth noting. And one aspect that sticks out to me as I read through John's gospel is how simple Jesus' words are. Of course, he did say things that were certainly vague and confusing at times, but just think for a moment of the ways Jesus has described himself so far in the first seven chapters of John. He uses his illustrations from everyday life that pretty much anyone can understand. He uses the process of childbirth to illustrate salvation in chapter 3. He offers a Samaritan woman living water in chapter 4. He calls himself the bread of life in chapter 6. And this morning, chapter 8, we'll see him call himself the light of the world. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, who is God and has infinite knowledge and wisdom, rather than speaking in a way that was too lofty or high for us to understand, chose to reveal himself and his purpose using some of the most common parts of everyday life? What's more basic than water and bread and light? There's no one that should be unable to grasp those concepts. They're simple, but at the same time, they're perfect illustrations that contain worlds of meaning. Water, for example, what all does it do? It nourishes, it refreshes, it gives growth, it cools. Something that's well watered is healthy and flourishes. So even though it's a basic concept, there's so much meaning behind Jesus' use of the word. And in today's passage, we find the second I am statement in John's gospel where Jesus tells us exactly who he is. So let's go ahead and read John 8, 12 to see this statement. It says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We'll get to the rest of the passage later on, but first we need to camp out here for a while on this one verse. There's so much meaning in this one statement, and we need to begin by looking at the context. The beginning of verse 12 says, Again, Jesus spoke to them. That means that this is a continuation of teachings by Jesus. Maybe in one day or over the course of multiple days, and, there's, and this is still within the time frame of the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles that began in chapter 7. We talked last week about how the story of the woman caught in adultery was likely out of place. And that makes sense because if you go from John 7.52 to 8.12, things fit together perfectly. We can see this as a continuation And that's important because the setting of the Feast of Booths adds greater meaning to this particular I Am statement. Jesus always says the right thing at the right time for the right reason. He called himself the bread of life after multiplying the bread the day before. He offered living water while standing next to a well. You see, these statements aren't random at all. And the light of the world is certainly no exception. Out of all the Jewish feasts and festivals, the Feast of Booths may have contained the most pageantry. Kind of like Christmas for us. It's, it's not just a one-day thing. It's more like a whole season. It's the happiest season of all. And that's kind of like the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. They did some over-the-top things, and it was all intended to commemorate and celebrate different aspects of the 40 years that Israelites wandered in the wilderness. And one of the key rites of this festival was what was called the illumination of the temple. Each night of the feast, they would light four enormous lanterns or candelabras in the temple. These were oil-fed and said to be 75 feet 
tall. So massive structures. They were placed in the part of the temple called the Court of Women, and they were lit each night. And it was said these lanterns lit up all of Jerusalem. You have to picture this scene. You have the ancient city of Jerusalem with houses packed tight one after the other. There's no electricity, of course. There's no public lighting in the streets or anything. So when it's dark, it really is dark. Then up on the highest point of the city, you have the crown jewel, the temple, overlooking everything. And on these dark nights, you have the incredible light emanating from the temple, giving light to everything around it. There would then be holy men of the city dancing and the Levites playing instruments and celebrating all night until the dawn. This illumination of the temple was meant to commemorate two things. First, how God used a pillar of fire to guide the Israelites by night in the wilderness. And then secondly, it looked forward to the great light that the Isaiah that Isaiah the prophet prophesied would come one day. Isaiah 9-2 is part of the passage we read so often at Christmas time, and here's what that verse says. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So now, with that background info in your mind, in this temple setting, around the time of the feast, picture Jesus declaring that He is the light of the world. And then on top of that, if we glance down to verse 20, it tells us He, Jesus, spoke these words in the treasury. This was a place in the temple where 13 chests were located for people to bring their offerings to the temple. And this treasury was located most likely in the court of the women, where the giant lights were lit. Jesus could not have been more obvious. The light of the world isn't a random statement at all. The Pharisees would have clearly seen the connection Jesus is making between himself and the temple and God. There's no doubt about it. He is the light of the world. Now let's look at that concept of light for a moment. This is a great illustration because we all have really deep notions or conceptions about light that are ingrained in us. Do we associate light with good or evil? Of course, we always associate light with good. Truly, nearly all humanity feels this association. It's naturally understood that light is good, dark is bad. Bad things happen at night. We naturally feel safer during the daylight. That's why 99% of horror films or, or scary stories take place at night. We, we feel that to be natural. Of course, I don't think it's a coincidence that people from all over different cultures and places have this same association. I believe it's there because the God who created all of us put it there. Light is one of the strongest and most consistent themes throughout the Bible. And there's this inseparable connection between light and God. That connection can be traced back to the very beginning of time as we know it. Genesis 1 records how everything was darkness and void until God did what? He said, let there be light. And there was light. God spoke light into existence and chased the darkness away. Many of the Psalms associate God with light. Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 18:28 For it is you who light my lamp the Lord my God lightens my darkness Often when the Lord appears he appears in light like the burning bush with Moses the pillar of fire in the wilderness the blinding light on the road to Damascus In 1 Timothy 6:16 6, the apostle Paul describes God as dwelling in unapproachable light where God shows up the darkness has to flee 
And in this particular gospel, John laid the groundwork for this theme in his prologue where he said, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So Jesus, being the full, perfect revelation of God the Father, is light just as God is light. You see, this is an ancient theme. So when Jesus declares, I am the light of the world, he is commanding everyone's attention. He's drawing the focus both of the scriptures and of the feast to himself. He's indicating that these things are actually billboards pointing to him. I'm the one you should be looking at and celebrating because he is the true light, the light of the world. But now let's break down Jesus' whole statement here in verse 12. There's several implications, actually five, that we'll draw from it. Five implications or truths from this. There's so much of Scripture when you break it down word by word or phrase by phrase that it just keeps yielding more and more truth that you didn't see at first. And this is certainly one of those passages where it serves us well to slow down a little bit and go deeper. So let's look at some of the implications of this statement. First, there's only one light. He doesn't say he is a light or he is one of many or of a few. Jesus says he is the light. This is as exclusive as it gets. Truth is necessarily narrow. And when I say truth is narrow, I mean that truth is clear. It's not optional. And that's a good thing. Two plus two equals what? Four. It has equaled four since the beginning of time, and it will continue to equal four until the end of time. And again, that's a good thing. If truth was broad and two plus two could equal five or 17, then what good would it be? But God is a God of order and his truth is narrow. Just like this statement, Jesus is the light. These I am statements are polarizing. You either believe this or you don't. Jesus doesn't give any wiggle room. He doesn't leave any gray area. It's black or white. He is the one and only light. Then the second implication, he is the light of what? The world. He doesn't say he's the light of the Jews or of Israel or of the Eastern Mediterranean region. Again, Jesus is claiming things about himself that can only be true if he is equal with God. He says he is the light of the world. He is the one and only light for everyone, everywhere. This is a global gospel. This isn't good news just for a few people. This is good news for everyone. And us here in South Alabama this morning should be glad it's for the whole world because we're on the opposite side of the world from from where these words were originally spoken. If you're a born-again Christian, then you are living proof that this statement is true. How amazing is it that to, to realize we're fulfillments of Jesus' statement nearly 2,000 years ago. And the light of the world is still illuminating hearts and minds today. So Jesus is the one and only light for everyone, everywhere. Now look at the second part of this statement in verse 12. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Third implication. Darkness is our default. Darkness is our default. If following Jesus brings us into the light, then that presupposes that apart from him, we're already in darkness. It's our default. This isn't speaking of literal darkness. It's speaking of spiritual darkness. And Jesus uses the word walk. That's another way of saying live. It's how we carry out our lives. So without him, we're living in every way in darkness. We can't see. We're blind. This is how the Bible describes us apart from Christ. 
We already mentioned Isaiah 9 too, which says the people walked in darkness. That's a spiritual darkness apart from Christ. Then in Isaiah 42, 7, it describes the God's servant, Jesus, will open the eyes that are blind, bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, and from the prison, those who sit in darkness. That's our default. Then in Ephesians 5, 8, Paul describes the Ephesians saying, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Paul makes it sound like the darkness isn't just something that we are in, but it's also something that we are. We take part in it. When we're spiritually blind, we are darkness in every way. So darkness is our default. Then the fourth implication, the light is meant to be followed. The light is meant to be followed. Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. There's action here. We're not just sitting back basking in this light like you might go for a tan at the beach. Though this light certainly does bring joy and wonder and we can revel in it, it's ultimately meant to be followed. Just like in the wilderness wanderings, the Israelites were meant to follow the pillar of fire at night. The light is meant to be followed. The Christian life is really not passive at all. God does all the saving, but outside of that, we're called to be active and engaged in really every way in our Christian walk. And following the light means bringing every area of our life into the light. We can't partially walk in the light and leave some parts of our life in the darkness. John takes this idea further in 1 John 1, 6, saying, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. I would encourage you to read 1 John. It's a great supplement to our study in the Gospel of John. He expounds on many of the same themes, and there he says there's a major disconnect in our lives if we claim to have a relationship with God, but we're still living like we're in darkness. John actually calls that person a liar. There's a lot of people that want to claim an association with Jesus, but their lives reveal their hypocrisy or that they don't really want to do what it takes to follow him. But as John says, it's walking in the light as he, Jesus, is walking in the light. Christ is our standard. We don't compare ourselves to others. He's our standard for righteousness and holiness. We strive to live lives that look more and more like his. Fifth and final implication. Life is found in the light. Life is found in the light. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This light brings life. Again, the illustrations Jesus picks are so down to earth. We recently bought a house here and wanted to go ahead and and plant a few satsuma trees. But our property is heavily wooded, shaded everywhere. So we had to find one of the few areas of sunshine to plant those trees because we knew that without the sunshine, those trees wouldn't stand much of a chance because light gives life. That's true in nature, and it's especially true spiritually. Because Jesus is the one and only light for everyone everywhere, then he is the only source of life. The Bible often pairs darkness and death or blindness and death together. They're closely connected ideas. Have you ever been in darkness that was so dark you couldn't see your hand in front of your face? Or you you couldn't see what was in front of you? You didn't know where to go? That's how darkness is associated with blindness. It causes it. We can't see what's in front or where to go. 
And the Bible uses that to describe us apart from Christ. We're spiritually dead due to our sin, which naturally causes spiritual blindness. We wander aimless and hopeless, and because we're completely blind, if someone doesn't come into our world and direct us, then we'll never find a way out of our state of death. That's where Jesus, the true light, comes in. Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We've been rescued. 1 Peter 2.9 says we've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. You see, God reached down into the darkness and pulled us out. He redeemed us and brought us into the light. And even now at this moment, the true light is continuing to cast out the darkness. The true light has come into the world. 1 John 2.8 says the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Praise God, the true light is already shining. And where the light goes, darkness flees. And for now, the darkness will run and hide, but one day it'll have nowhere else to hide but in hell itself, and the light of Christ will rid the world of darkness. In Revelation 21, it gives us this picture of the new heavens and the new earth when all things are made new. And in verse 23, it describes the city of God this way. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring the glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Wow, that's the glory and the light of the world. This light is already shining and will continue growing until one day it gives life and light to everything. And the call for us today is to turn from the darkness and run to the light to leave behind the deeds of darkness and seek forgiveness and life in the true light. May we be sensitive and open to the movement and conviction of the Holy Spirit, unlike those that Jesus was speaking to. For the next 13 verses, their blindness is on full display. They're hard-hearted. They refuse to come to the light and instead keep throwing up defenses and questioning Jesus. Jesus says he's the light of the world. Their response, you're testifying about yourself. In other words, you need someone else to verify who you are. So Jesus tells them he does have another witness, the Father. Their response, who is your Father? Jesus tells them he's going somewhere they can't go, and unless they believe, they'll die in their sins. Their response, who are you? They're wandering around spiritually blind in their darkness. Unable to recognize the light of the world is speaking directly to them. But there is hope. Verse 30 says, As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Even among the Pharisees, many started to believe. Obviously, this doesn't change the mission. The Pharisees will eventually, under the command of the high priest, have Jesus executed as a common criminal. But many believe. The light penetrates the darkness even of the Pharisees. And as a Christian, that is one of the main supports of my faith. This is one of the the main building blocks that holds up my Christian faith. I hold on to the truth in John 1.5 that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Every time I remember that, it reignites my hope and confidence in God. And as a preacher of God's word, that's my hope and my assurance that 
the truth of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit still has the ability to illuminate the darkness and bring to life those dead in their sin. If it wasn't for that hope, then then what am I doing? And I have no doubt that there's perhaps many of you listening or watching this that, that need that reminder today. You watch the news for, for any amount of time. You look at social media. And with every second of television, with every scroll of the Facebook feed, it's just emphasized to us how dark our world is. And lately, the events in this in our country alone have have just seemed to get darker and darker. It can be discouraging. It can be deflating. So instead, counteract that with holy meditation on the truth that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It may seem dark, but that darkness will will never overcome the light of Christ. God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, and the darkness is already fading. fading. The true light is shining. And now as ambassadors of Christ, as representatives of God here on this earth, we now live our lives as smaller lights reflecting the glory of the one true light. And it's us shining our lights in the darkness of this world that brings hope to the world. That's our hope and that's our charge. That's our responsibility. And now for us as Christians, as believers, as a body here at Stapleton Baptist Church, that is our goal and our mission to live lives according to that and shine the light of Jesus into the darkness around it so that others in our community, others around us that we know will see the light and come into the light out of the darkness. Amen.